Can your emotional and mental state 2x your business growth? Want to improve how to deal with life and business stresses? We are going to get mental to discover how you can change your mental and emotional state to grow your business, and then use a podcast to help others on this Screenbox podcast. Please like our podcast and subscribe to our channel to get notified when the next podcast is released. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Streaming Box Technology and Business Rundown! Does your state of mind and emotional health directly affect your business? How can you improve your mental and emotional state to grow your business and help others as well? Welcome to the Scream Box Technology and Business Rundown Podcast. In this podcast, I, Dave Erickson, and my esteemed co-host, Botan Sedesh, are going to get mental with Kevin Palmieri, CFO, founder, and co-host of Next Level University, a top global 100 self-improvement podcast. After hitting rock bottom in his 20s, Kevin went on to a holistic self-improvement journey to overcome his anxiety, depression, and to finally live a happy life. As a result, he now has a successful podcast earning six figures. With a content base of thousands of episodes and additional training and speeches on nextleveluniverse.com. Many of Kevin's podcast speeches and training involve discussions about mental health, emotional stability, and how to deal with life and business challenges that people and entrepreneurs face every day. So Kevin, how did hitting rock bottom change your life? First of all, thank you both for having me. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, for me, I made six figures in my mid-20s. I assumed external results was going to fix internal voids. That was not the case. So I ended up starting a podcast because I figured, you know what? I've lived most of my life unconsciously. The opposite of unconscious is hyperconscious. I'm going to start a podcast all about becoming hyperconscious. I fell in love with podcasting as I fell out of love with my job because I reached the pinnacle of quote-unquote success at my job and I was not willing to do what it took to get there again and then I ended up sitting on the edge of a bed contemplating suicide the next year because I was so miserable I was so misaligned I had very little fulfillment in my life I was always working I was always tired I was always answering messages I just I felt trapped and I felt stuck so rock bottom changed my life because it created the necessity for me to say okay what do I actually want to do and that was really the first time I had ever asked myself that question and sat with it and forced myself to answer and ended up leaving my job three or four months later and then starting the very challenging journey of being a very broke entrepreneur, very unsuccessful podcaster. And that was in 2018. So it's been a, a long journey since then. People think that just making a podcast and it just instantly <laughs> becomes successful uh, is the illusion that you have. Uh, you're into a rude awakening. Yes. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I, I love uh, doing podcasts and I love learning and, and growing through doing them and helping others do the same. So I'm sure that that's quite fulfilling. Yeah, definitely. And I get to do what I love. I, I think a lot of us, and I was very guilty of this, a lot of us, we dive into a pool and we convince ourselves that we're doing what we're doing because we're passionate about it. When in reality, we're doing something because it's profitable, and then we try to convince ourselves we're passionate about it. For me, I was really passionate about podcasting. I still am. I love it. I'm absolutely in love with it. I wanted to figure out how to stay in the pool. I dove in the pool and said, I love this water. I need to learn how to swim. I need to learn how to tread water. When a lot of us, we do something because we convince ourselves we're passionate about it, but we are trying to get out of that pool as soon as humanly possible. The second we can retire, we go. The second we get our pension, we go. That isn't really the way I think humans are supposed to live their lives. And again, it took me many years to figure that out. So, you know, Kevin, as a CFO and the founder of a successful podcast, I mean, I'm sure you encounter many, many entrepreneurs and uh, just busy people in usual. Uh, have you observed any sort of mental and emotional health uh, patterns impacting their business performance and just their personal lives? One of the biggest things we've seen is most people either struggle with inaccurate self-worth or inaccurate self-belief. And all I mean by that is there's a lot of people out there that don't believe in their own unique abilities to create a, su a successful business. They start, 
but then they get stuck in imposter syndrome and I don't know how to do this and I'm afraid to ask for help. There's other people who have delusionally high self-belief where they think they're going to win by default. And that's just not going to happen either. Then if we look at the self-worth side, there are people out there who do not believe that they deserve to be successful. So they unfortunately self-sabotage everything they have going on. And then on the other end of that, there are people who have delusionally high self-worth who it's almost like they can't see what they're doing wrong because they think they're doing everything right. Now, I know those aren't necessarily mental health things, but we've seen a lot of that and low self-worth can lead to depression. Low self-belief can lead to people not taking action and then not getting the results and then feeling bad about themselves and, and it can lead to that. So that's really the big thing that we've identified. I had very low self-belief. I had very low self-worth. I didn't think I was very valuable. I acted that way and I got results based on that. So that is one of the most common things we've seen over the last six years and working with many, many different people. I would say misaligned self-worth, misaligned self-belief, and then the manifestation of what those actually bring. Yeah, it's uh, funny you mentioned that, that you used to have very low self-worth and low self-esteem. Um, I kind of started on the other end of the scale mm. where I had way too much votes. And then I, I, right now I feel like I overcorrected. So now it's, it's a bit too mm. low. <laughs> do, do, do you see that as a, as a thing that happens? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Is it a, is it a usual thing? We, I mean, we like, call it the drive to five. So somebody who has very low self-worth, self-belief, whatever it may be is zero. And it doesn't mean you don't have any, but just for this zero, somebody who has very, very high is 10. The goal is to get to five. Unfortunately, sometimes you go by five and you end up at three. Sometimes you go by five and you end up at seven. We had somebody new join our team recently. And I quite literally on the first call with this person said, I want you to be very, very careful because you're going to have more people pouring into you than ever. And there quite literally are not many communities like we have within our team. I said, you're probably going to get a little arrogant. Because you're going to get confident and you're just going to keep going. I said, just so just be aware of that. It most likely will happen. It's happened to me. It's happened to everybody. So yes, it is definitely something we have seen. It's definitely something I have experienced as well. I understand very well. All right. Good to know I'm not alone <laughs> with this. <laughs> so what are some of the, I don't know, tools or methods that people can use to help them try to find five, right? To, to help them balance. And, and obviously throughout life, it goes up and down. It doesn't stay the same throughout life. You're, you're always having to kind of adjust it uh, as, as things happen. What are some of the things though that, that you find important? At the end of the day, action is the cure-all from either end. So what I always say is if you're low on the drive to five, you have to start fear chasing. So what I used to do in the very beginning, I would, I used to track five habits. I would work out every day. I'd post on social media. I track my finances. I track our listens and I would do something called fear chasing. And every day I would say, okay, what did I do today? That scared me. All right, let me check that off. Let me make a check. How many things did I do this week? So if you are low on the drive to five, especially when it comes to belief, we have to figure out what is a level. So if you have a level two belief, what is a level three action that you can take? I think a lot of us have been deluded into thinking we must set massive goals that scare the hell out of us, when in reality, a lot of us are already scared. The last thing we need to do is set goals up for failure. So if you have low self-worth, low self-belief, boundaries for low self-worth is a great place to start. Low self-belief, we have to set small goals and we have to build some self-trust. If you're high on either, you need to get humbled. So my business partner, one day said I could run I think I could run a marathon on a whim and I said what do you mean oh yeah yeah, yeah. sure and <laughs> and he said I'm gonna run a marathon this weekend and I was like okay and he said I need it I need to know whether or not I can do it and if I can't do it I need to be humbled he's very self-aware he ended up the, he said the first half was very easy and then he said by the end of it he was walking and he felt broken completely and it humbled him so it's almost like if you're low you need to be lifted up if you're high, you need to be cut down to five. We're not very good at cutting people down. That's why our team tends to be on the lower end of the drive to five. I'm not good at knocking people down. I don't like it. It's weird. It makes me uncomfortable. I feel like a jerk. I don't like doing it. But as somebody who did not have any belief in himself, it's very easy for me to lift other people up. 
Because most people that are attracted to our community are better than they think. Now, there are a lot of people that aren't as good as they think. I'm not good at knocking them down. So that is what I would say. Action. Action is the cure-all. We either have to create proof of positivity or proof of contrast that you're not really where you think you are. Yeah, it seems to me like knocking the knocking down part is more uh, coming from yourself, meaning you have to do something and fail at it, whereas the uplifting part is better done by the community helping to, to reaffirm that you have value. Is that I correct? Would, yeah, I would say that's fair. The problem is if you're very high on the drive to five, sometimes you need somebody to challenge you. You need somebody to give you a little kick in the butt. So this is a good example, and, and I don't mean any negativity about this. This is just a really good example of this. So we have a, a group coaching program that we do, and we were the second or third call into one of our groups, and I said, how's everybody doing? Is everybody finding value? How's everybody doing? And one of the things that we do in that group is everybody tracks their habits, myself and Alan included. And you can see our habits, you can see our percentages, you can see what we're doing. Somebody butted in, they said, honestly, I should be running this group coaching. Like, I should have my own one of these, I shouldn't even be in this group. And I said, I, I mean this respectfully, but you got 65% of your habits tracked last week. I've tracked 27 habits every day for the last four months. That's why I get to coach, and that's why you're right now a student. That was just a gentle level set of, I don't think you're as good as you actually think you are, and nobody else is going to be able or willing to tell you that. I hate it. I know it makes me sound like a jerk, made me feel very uncomfortable, but that person signed up for growth. Growth for that person is not necessarily me saying, hey, you can do it. Growth for me might be saying, hey, you're going to have to do things differently if you think you can actually do it because you're not where you think you are. Everybody, Everybody's growth is different. Some people need to be level set. Some people need to be lifted up. And it's that's the challenge of it. That's the challenge. But as long as you're in it for growth, hopefully you'll respond in a positive, constructive manner. I mean, very interesting that you bring up tracking habits because habits, we are creatures of habits. And uh, I think the habits we choose to have and the habits we develop or, or work on or uh, suppress or <laughs> strengthen they have much more control over us than we realize. Yeah. It's one of the interesting, and I was, I'm excited to talk about business, to business owners, people in business, tech, all that, because this is one thing that happens. We go to a job and we have KPIs. We have key performance indicators. We have measurements. We have things that we're reaching for, projections, goals. But then when we go home, we don't. Once we leave the office, it's almost like, okay, I got my KPIs at the office. What are your KPIs for home? So what we have done is break it into health, wealth, and love. Imagine if you had three habits under health, three habits under wealth, three habits under love. How much progress could you make at home, at the gym, or whatever fitness or exercise means to you, and with your intimate partner or yourself? So just as an example, three under health. Weigh yourself, drink a gallon of water a day, and exercise for 30 minutes a day. You don't have to start with all three. You can start with weighing yourself. Under wealth, learn for 30 minutes every single day, connect with a potential prospect, and track your finances. It's not going to take that long. And then under love, if you're not in a relationship, you can play the gratitude game with yourself. What is something you're grateful for about yourself? Write down your wins for the day, and then do something that fills your cup. If you're in a relationship, there's many apps where you can play question and answer with your partner. My wife and I play the gratitude game with each other every single night. So if we looked at it more from that perspective of why aren't I getting my wealth goals? I'm working really hard, but where am I not putting in the time? Why am I not getting the health results I want? Oh, I'm not really putting in the right amount of effort. The same thing for the relationships. It gives you data. So I can say I've been crushing the gym, but if I look back at the last month and I only went 11 times out of 30, I'm not crushing it as much as I think. And now at least I know I got 33% of the results based on 33% of the effort. That's on me. That's, that's my own responsibility. And I think just seeing the data creates an opportunity for change and it creates an opportunity for that awareness. We do a lot of business mechanisms and theories based on feedback. You know, you're, you're, you do something and then you track all the KPIs and you track what happens. I, you know, 
the idea that you do that with yourself to also manage your performance and what you're doing, it makes total sense. Uh, but I, I, I definitely do not hear many uh, entrepreneurs talking about that. <laughs> it's uh, a challenge. I, yeah. Um, I've tracked habits of mine not as thoroughly or for the, the actual reason, but more from uh, I, I just naturally am a person who looks at data. And I like analyzing data. So whether it's mountain biking, I track all my stats when I go for rides and how many rides and all that type of stuff. But also in business, I'm very aware of, you know, how many people visit our website and how many, you know, accomplishments we have. I think it does help engaging, you know, where you fit or where you are or how you're performing. But sometimes it can also get you down because you're not reaching the goals you want. Uh, but I think that that's important uh, as well. Um, when people are managing their habits and they're finding that some of them are not going where they want them to go, or they're not able to motivate themselves to achieve or to do the performance they would like, what are some of the things that they can do to help themselves or to get better at it? Yeah, One of my favorite things in the world, I just did this with two clients the other day. We call it creating a commitment device. So I have it over here somewhere. I, I was struggling with my fitness for a while. The, the gym was just not a priority. Business was growing. The team was growing. I was newly married. I was really struggling up to keep up with my, my fitness regimen. And I just wasn't motivated. I didn't care. I didn't want to go. So I went to my wife and I said, babe, I need you to do me a favor. And she said, yeah, what do you need? And I said, I'm going to give you this $100 bill and... If I don't go to the gym every single day for the next seven days, I need you to rip it up in front of me. And she said, Kev, I am not going to do that. I'm absolutely not going to do that. And I said, babe, I promise I won't let you down. I promise I won't let you down. Believe it or not, I went to the gym every single day for the next seven days. We have to create some sort of lock-in mechanism where it is more painful not to do the thing than it is to do the thing. So I just did this with two of my clients. They're business owners. If you're a business owner and you're not posting on social media, especially if your business is dependent on social media, you're in trouble. And they just kept saying, you know, I know we should be doing it, but we can't figure out how. And I said, well, this is, this is a good opportunity for us to try this. I said, what are you doing right now that you absolutely love? One of them said, I go rucking with my husband. We go on these long walks with rucks. I love it. Awesome. The other person, go ahead. Um what what the hell is a ruck? It's just a backpack that you load a lot of weight in, so it makes it a little bit harder. Ah, so a rucksack. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. No, no, sorry. you're good. I was just being No, dumb. no, context is important. <laughs> so she loves doing that with her husband. That fills her cup, helps her relationship, helps her health. Awesome. The other person in the in the business, she I go to tennis, she said. Three, four times a week I go to tennis. I said, All right. From now on, if you do not post on social media that day, you're not allowed to go for a ruck, you're not allowed to go to tennis. What do you guys think of that? And they were both very hesitant. They're like, no, I, I love rucking, post on social media. I love tennis, post on social media. I have seen a drastic uptick in their social media. Every single day I go on, I see they're posting. The reason is because there is a short-term pain associated with not doing it. If, if the second you picked up a cigarette, you got cancer and died, people wouldn't smoke. But it's such a long-term thing that we, we, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that. It's the same for a lot of business stuff where what is, if I miss one day of posting on social media, it's not that big of a deal. It might not be. But it also could be one day where somebody was ready to purchase from you and then they miss the post and you lose that person forever. So creating extra necessity I think is always there. Creating extra accountability publicly is huge. Get a peak performance partner. Hire a coach. Those are both very big things. And then the last thing is, I call it the, so there's two R's when it comes to consistency, right? We have somebody, well, let's, let's just do the two D's. There's a bunch of different letters. The two D's are discipline or design. If you design your life so your habits are easier, you have to rely on your discipline less. If you do not design your life to make your habits easier, you have to rely purely on discipline. And discipline fades, but design doesn't necessarily. When you get on a plane, one of the reasons planes are safe is because they have the discipline to do the, the pre-flight checklist, and the pre-flight checklist is designed for your safety. If they started winging it, I'm sure things would be less safe in the sky, and I would be taking less planes than I am because I already do not like them.
back when I was actually on my fitness journey and <laughs> since then obviously I've fallen off but I had uh, one one thing that always kicked my brain into gear and that was I had a very specific uh, uh, location in my room where I used to hang my clothes up to dry so every time every every single day I woke up it was right next to my bed so I know that's right time to put them on and go for a run design <laughs> they just work great. Yeah, yeah yeah design you can if you are struggling to be disciplined tap into design if you're struggling if you're struggling for design you're gonna have to be ultra disciplined yeah but discipline is a finite resource yes. so you cannot be disciplined in all areas of life it's it's definitely it's hard to juggle all things in life for sure but again in the beginning if you can start with one thing right maybe it's maybe it's weighing yourself to get started 30 second activity you get feedback you get data you can see where things are progressing okay then we can build on that I would rather start small and build than start large and collapse you could also start by just starting on a diet yep not every single meal but like half the meals mm -hmm. that's already a huge improvement yep. so I, I see this all the time like people are afraid to go on a diet because they think that all right, if I'm on a diet, I literally can never eat anything else. But but you can. <laughs> it's enough if you stick to the diet like 50% of the time. That's going to be a massive improvement over eating chips and drinking Coke all day. <laughs> One of my... So we had a, a guest on early on. Her name is Lori Harder. She's very big in our space. She said something super powerful that I don't know if I fully understood at the time because this was 2018. This was a long time ago. She said, consistent 70% days are better than spotty 100s. And at the time, I was like, yeah, yeah that sounds like a really good quote. But then when you start to do the math, 7 times 7, so say you do 70% times 7, 490%. If you do 100% day, and then you don't do anything, and then 100% day, and you don't do anything, and 100% day, and you don't do anything, and then you take the weekend off, that's 300. 490 is better than 300. So I like to think of that from your habits, too. Okay, maybe you didn't post on social. Maybe you posted on your story. Maybe you didn't connect with a potential client. Maybe you connected with a current client. That's anything is better than nothing. And if we're looking for long-term progress, we can do a lot of short-term lever pullings that might not be the full the full pull. Fitness and emotional and mental health. Um, and entrepreneurs are notoriously bad at fitness uh, because they're so focused on their business. Uh, can you kind of give a little, you obviously struggled with it as well. Um, what are some of the things that, that people can do to help maintain their fitness, but also how important is fitness to your emotional health, your outlook and how you, you perform as, as a business leader? There have been many studies lately. I cannot cite them. I don't know them off the top of my head, but that have connected that moving your body exercise weightlifting that type of stuff is as good for mental health as any antidepressant and there's a lot of people who probably don't know that yet because maybe they haven't seen it or they haven't read it or their doctor hasn't talked to them about it exercise is huge if you are more capable from a physiological standpoint everything is you're more capable of everything you can learn you can work more productive hours you can work longer you're more patient in your relationship you're a better leader because you're leading by example not just by words it is absolutely everything small things bring your if, if you work in a building that has a gym bring your gym clothes and potentially work out on lunch if you have time bring your clothes with you that way you can stop on the way home if you work at home get a standing desk get a walking treadmill now is the easiest time ever just in terms of technology we bought a treadmill it was like two hundred and ninety nine dollars if you wanted to buy a treadmill 10 years ago, it probably would have cost you a thousand. Things were, things were different. So you have to make it a priority. That is, that is the truth where I think this balance thing is, it once was a thought to be an empowering belief. I think balance has, has become somewhat of a disempowering belief because people think they should be doing everything at the same time, or they think if they're doing something and they're not getting another result, they shouldn't be doing it. When I'm at the gym, the business isn't winning, 
But when I get back from the gym and I'm all fired up and I have more energy and I am fulfilled because I had a great workout and I feel like I'm making progress, I'm going to be more positive and I'm more likely to bring business to the business anyway. Things cross over from one section to the other. So that's, that's what I always say about fitness and exercise and health, whatever that means to you. Now, I do want to be transparent. When I say I struggled with fitness, I was still going to the gym three times a week. It just wasn't up to the bodybuilding standard that I had set for myself in the past. So that it hasn't been a, a real, real struggle with me, but to my standards, I was letting it go, and that was very, very frustrating to me. The, the last thing I would say is business is very stressful. Owning a business, working at a, uh, any level of business, but a, a very high-stress environment, you going and working on your body and sweating and raising your heart rate and doing all that stuff is going to be super beneficial for you. And then if you have a partner and you have a family, you owe it to them. You owe it to them to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, it's going to be very hard for anybody else to take care of you. You know, I, I'm a mountain biker. Uh, and so for me, I have to really plan, you know, to have that hour to hour and a half during the day or afternoon, uh, morning, whenever I can squeeze it in uh, to, to do a ride. And sometimes it, it is hard to get motivated. But the thing that I like the most about it is, is that it's an hour, an hour and a half in which my body's doing something and it gives my head time to kind of think about things and figure things out. And it's a great meditative kind of environment. Uh, and I find I get a lot of work done just by riding. Yeah. Right. And then I come back physically exhausted, but <laughs> mentally refreshed. It's a crossover. Every, so every morning I do 15 minutes of mobility and it's one of the, it's one of my favorite parts of the day. It sucks. I don't like getting down on the floor and trying to put my leg up over my head or any of that. I don't really enjoy it, but it's quiet. It's calm. It's relaxing. It is. It's a little bit, it's a little bit of a meditative state for me. And the rest of the day is mayhem. Yeah. I'm on calls and I'm sending DMS and I'm getting texts and I'm on interviews and I'm interviewing. It's just mayhem. So any calm you can create, whatever that means to you, if it's a mountain bike ride, a treadmill, walking with your partner, and it's going to pay dividends. I don't think entrepreneurs uh, emphasize it enough of how valuable it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Until something happens. Until something happens and then you have the necessity. But you have to, you have to try to create the necessity in advance. And that's just a very challenging thing to do. I'm sure as a, you know, a successful entrepreneur, you, you face some of these moments of motivation, uh, of using exercise, uh, but even doing exercise, you can still find yourself in a position where you're struggling mentally or emotionally. When you did get into those situations where things were going great, you were doing all your habits right, everything was good, but then all of a sudden you found you were struggling for some reason, right? Something wasn't going right, you were getting depressed or frustrated. What kind of things or techniques did you use to kind of get yourself back in the groove so to say I used to do a lot of meditating I used to do a lot of meditating I would take time I take a half hour in the middle of the day and I would say okay I'm going to meditate I'm going to listen to something I'm gonna lay in bed I'm gonna close my eyes or sit on the porch or whatever it may be that was a big thing the thing I do most now is I do a lot of reflection one of my favorite thoughts around time is from day to day progress is invisible from year to year it's impossible to miss you might feel like you're struggling right now but if you look back five years a lot of the problems you have today might be the problems that you would have wished for five years ago I try to have that perspective of gratitude now again things still suck you lose clients things happen right there's there's still gonna be ups and downs the other thing that I try to do is I try to be vulnerable with the people around me we, we're a self-improvement company, so I can go to my CEO, who's my best friend, and say, hey man, I'm struggling, I don't know, I don't believe in what I'm doing lately, I feel like I'm taking a lot of losses, I need a little boost of confidence, what do I do? So I rely a lot on the people around me. When I'm struggling, I, I search for mentors, and I try to show up vulnerably, humbly, and ask for help or support. The hardest thing about vulnerability with people, though, is... You have to plan for it when it's sunny because when it's rainy, it's kind of too late for the umbrella. If, you're, if, you're, if you can think about that, eventually you're going to need, we don't have to call it a favor, but eventually you're going to need a favor, quote unquote. 
how do we make sure we're setting up our relationships to actually have the opportunity to do that? So you can feel safe being vulnerable with someone. When I hit rock bottom and I had those suicidal ideations, I reached out to Alan. I sent Alan a message and I said, Alan, I'm struggling, brother. I don't know what to do. I feel trapped. I feel hopeless. I feel helpless. What do I do? But that wasn't in that moment. That was all the previous years of our relationship where he had made me safe and I trusted him and I knew he wouldn't judge me. So I think that's the biggest piece of advice I can give. Being an entrepreneur is lonely. Being a business owner is lonely. A lot of people do not understand the amount of pressure you're under. If you have somebody who is in a similar position or has similar experience to you, befriend them and try to get some sort of vulnerable relationship going because I promise you, you will thank yourself for it. Especially if you walk around thinking nobody understands me, nobody gets me. I know those feelings, but it's our responsibility to go find people that do. It's not necessarily the responsibility of the people around us to figure out what it's like. I tell my wife that all the time. I do not ever want you to know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. No, absolutely not. I don't want you to have to deal with it. It's brutal. But I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs. So I think that's the biggest thing I could say. There's a lot you can do journaling. You can do meditation. Figure out what fills your cup. There's a lot of stuff you can do there. Reflect. But I think talking to somebody is the best thing to do. Vulnerability. I wonder if you have any tips for um, situations where you are vulnerable and the other party takes advantage mm. to push you down even more because that's, that happens. That definitely happens. It is an unfortunate byproduct of opening up to somebody is oftentimes when you open up, somebody likes to take a punch. In the moment, I think you have to just deal with it and then you most likely want to either reallocate time with that person, re-shift the relationship. So there's something called the vulnerable problem solver where what you can do is you can say, hey, I'm afraid that our relationship is never going to really be the same because last time I opened up to you, I felt very taken advantage of. My fear is that I'm not going to be able to open up to you anymore. And if I do, I'm not safe to do it. You can start a conversation like that and try to reset the relationship. But what I've seen in the past is, again, it's very hard to get other people to change. So I would, I would ask yourself, why is this person in my life in the first place? Do they have similar core values, similar core beliefs, similar core aspirations? If you start coming up with zeros on those questions, that person might not even deserve to be in your life. And unfortunately, you picked the wrong door when you went to be vulnerable. You, you should have picked door one, but you picked door two. It happens. It's happened to me. People have come back and used it against me you know, when they leave or whatever it may be. So I definitely understand it. I think you just have to learn from it, learn from the loss, take the lesson, and try to avoid it moving forward. I wish I had a hallmark quote for it, but that's the best I can do. <laughs> so sometimes it does work to reset the relationship and bring attention to how it is not possible to be vulnerable uh, around that person. But when that doesn't work, it does seem like there is no no choice then, right? It's Yeah, there's not a lot of options. It is what it, it is. There, yeah. I mean, you can decide. You can decide, you know what? I'm just never going to be vulnerable with this person. I mean, you can definitely decide that, but Usually, the quality of a relationship is connected to the vulnerability in it. Absolutely. So, I can't, I can't imagine it would be a very successful, fulfilling, aligned, connected relationship. So, yeah, I, I just re reallocate time and revisit why the relationship is there in the first place, and then just take the lesson. Now, easier said than done. I, I completely understand, but I don't know an easy way around something like that. I've been a sole entrepreneur. I've had companies where I was the only person. It really is uh, lonely, very stressful. You're the only person who can deal with it. You know, if you're lucky, you have a, a good life partner, wife, or somebody who you can kind of help unload, but they're not in it, so they can't really provide much in the way of solutions or anything. It's one of the reasons that people form partnerships in business. It expands uh, the ability to do things. It allows uh, you know the partners to take uh, on other responsibilities so that you can focus on things that you know you're good at. Uh, so having a good relationship is like that, and I've I've encountered it myself personally. Uh, I've also seen other businesses where there clearly is a partner who is insecure or 
you know, whatever, their mental state is not a, a positive one and they're dragging down their other partners or they have extreme arrogance about themselves and, and putting their other partners down or in, in a low place and the partners become so miserable doing the business that the business starts failing, right? And sometimes, you know, it's really hard when you're in a partner situation to have to go to a partner and say, hey, this isn't working. We've, we've tried over and over and we're, we're trying to work with you. And it's time to, to either end the business or go our separate ways. Uh, it is one of the more difficult things to do in life and in business. Do you have any kind of recommendations or tips on, on how to actually do that once you kind of recognize that somebody is not good for you? So I haven't experienced that from a business perspective in terms of a partnership. I'm very lucky and very blessed. I have a wonderful business partner. Yeah, I, I always start with are the people in your life the best from your past or the best for your future? That question changed my life. I started reallocating time with friends after that. So once you get to that understanding, oh, you know what? Yeah, I don't know if, if partner C is what's best for us, partner A, partner B. You go to them, and I think you have to figure out why did they, why did they make it as a partner in the first place? What was the deciding factor that determined that they were going to be a valuable piece of the business? We always rely on core beliefs, core values, and core aspirations. That is really... My business partnership with my business partner is so good because we have very similar core values... We have very similar core beliefs and we have very similar core aspirations. We've had very honest conversations where if I ever get to the point where I don't want to work every single day like we are today and my aspirations change, I will most likely have to reallocate time and figure out a different position and things are going to change. We're very mature about that, but I know not everybody is. I would have that conversation. Hey, when we started this company, this was, this was the play. Right? These were our core beliefs. These were our core values. These were our core aspirations. This is what we were doing. This is the amount of time we were putting in. This was our leadership style. One of us was very confident. The other person was very balanced. You know, Somebody was insecure, blah, blah, blah. Today, it doesn't seem like that is the case anymore. Can we realign and check in on what our core beliefs, core values, and core aspirations are? Then from there, draw conclusions. And if it's not right, it's not right. And you have to make... And again, this is the hard piece because it's personal. You have to make the decision that's best for the business. Because if the business dies, everybody connected with the business takes a hit. Where if one person is steering the ship in the wrong direction, you can take them away from the wheel and you can save the rest of the ship. So I don't know if there is an easy answer other than core values, core beliefs, core aspirations, at least as an outline and a framework. From there, it depends on your conversation style. It depends on how courageous you are. And it depends on the amount of feedback you're willing to receive when you give somebody feedback. I'm, I'm a bit late to the party, but <laughs> you mentioned earlier um, that some people may drag down the morale of a business. And what I find quite often is, I don't know if you guys saw Gemini Man, but it's uh, Will Smith hunted by a younger clone of himself. And this is a great shot when he's taking a uh, sniper rifle looking at the rooftops. Uh, trying to find out who the hell is coming after him. And <laughs> that scene was captioned. <laughs> you know, employers looking for uh, the person bringing down the morale. <laughs> that one person. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's a great joke because it works on two levels. So on the first level it works because more often than not, it, it is the person at the top who, who can just deal the biggest blows to morale. And the second level it works on is it may not be their current actions that bring down the morale, but it could be their past actions. I think a topical comment on that is some of the, the things that have been going on with uh, Elon Musk and the, the changes and stuff he's doing, particularly recently, like changing Twitter to X and some of this other stuff. My understanding is, is that in some of his companies are extremely enthusiastic about him and others, he can bring down the morale really fast. And that's kind of an example of someone doing a roller coaster. Nobody can predict what he's going to do. And so they're all insecure about what's going to happen tomorrow. So yeah, there, that, that is one of the aspects of leadership that, that you know, it'd be good to have a stable leaders. Uh, leading all com uh, companies and countries, maybe, 
But the fact of the matter is people are people and nobody's really as stable as they think they are. Uh, and, and life throws things at Definitely. you. And it, at the end of the day, the leadership capabilities are connected to the person's self-improvement set point. Elon's a very smart man. He's a genius, right? But it doesn't mean he's emotionally intelligent. It doesn't mean he understands intricacies of communication. There's a lot of things that he might be missing. A lot of the, a lot of the biggest leaders in the world are just very logical, heavy tech people. They don't really understand what it's like to communicate with an emotionally driven human, potentially. So that's, I just, I lean so heavy on self-improvement. Self-improvement, I think, is the answer to so many things because when you improve yourself, you start to understand things. And you can have empathy. You can have empathy for, oh, there's a lot of uncertainty within the team right now. What can I do to bring more certainty so everybody feels a little bit safe or a little bit more safe? Because when people are, they feel safer, they're more committed. When they're more committed, they stay there longer. When they stay there longer, they do better. But it's just, it depends on the person's self-improvement, really, at the end of the day. I think uh, empathy is an uh, uh, underestimated uh, superpower of CEOs. It really is very important to be able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and, and understand what they're dealing with. Uh, it, it gives you a very important perspective. And if you can't, at least admit it. I think that's another piece of empathy, too. Our team is majority, the majority of our team is women, and many of them are moms. I always say, I can only imagine what it's like to be a stay-at-home mom with three children. I have two cats. That's it. That's, that's my experience with parenting. Right. I can take care of them, but they're pretty self-sufficient. I can only imagine, or I, I, what I'll say often is I can understand to the level I can understand. I will never say, I, yeah, I know. I know what it's like. I don't. I don't. I know what it's like to be a podcaster, so I can say that, right? I know what it's like to do right. certain things, but that the language around the way you communicate, it, there's, a, there's a very important piece to that that really helps the culture of inclusiveness. People listen. People listen to the words you say. Even if you say them kindly, they can tell if you don't understand what you're saying. I think that's ability to recognize if, if it's just impossible for me or you to put ourselves in someone else's shoes is something that is missing for most of our politicians like yeah <laughs> yeah i th I mean, it's amazing a, a lot uh, of the, the higher the thing ups. i find yeah uh, the thing i find stunning is is when they get some very simple cash questions like uh, do you have any idea what it feels like to live on minimum wage and and they just won't admit that they they cannot even imagine because they were rich when they were born they are rich now and between those two points they were always rich so they can't even imagine the yeah. struggles that most people yeah. have. And if they just said and they that. They just will not yeah, admit imagine it. if they just. Yeah, it would right? be fine. Like, like yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. I don't know what it's like, but I can imagine it's not easy. Yeah, because then it opens up a conversation. Like, all right, fair enough. Let me tell you about mm. it. Like, <laughs> yeah, but that's vulnerability too. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's something I, I, I do a lot of times. Like, when someone comes to me with whatever their problem is oftentimes i just go like dude that I'm, I'm sad for you but i literally can't even imagine what you're going through can you talk a little bit about you know how you got this whole thing started but also how did it go from podcast to next level university and even though it's not technically a university, it's kind of a, a collection of the podcasts and training and lectures and speeches and other things. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what that is, how you kind of evolved that from its humble beginnings? Why did you go in that direction? Yeah, so I always start by saying I'm a graduate of YouTube University. So in the very beginning, I was like, okay, I want to start a podcast. What do I need? So I went on Google, I went on YouTube, and I figured out I need a microphone, I got a mixer and that was it. And I went on Fiverr, I found somebody to do my artwork and I was like, all right, cool, this is what I'm gonna do. I wasn't taking it super seriously in the first year. I loved it, but I didn't know, I didn't see a lot of potential in the very beginning. I just, I was doing it for fun. I never planned on this being a business. When I left my job, that's when we went all in and started to work on, we started to work on our characters first because we realized that most of our listeners were women. And here we are in our mid-20s, we're kind of bros and nothing wrong with that. But I wasn't a very mature man yet. I didn't 
have a great communication style. I didn't have empathy. I didn't understand vulnerability. I didn't really understand any of that. So for the first year, year and a half, we worked on our character. But one thing we did, and this is the best thing we ever did, I would literally give out my phone number to our listeners and I would jump on free FaceTime calls with them. I would just say, hey, I don't, I'm not, I don't have any coaching. I can't sell you anything. I don't have anything to sell you. Let's just hop on, his, on a FaceTime. I want to know what you're going through. I want to know about you. I want to meet you. I want to get to know you. And I did that a lot in the first few years. That helped us figure out, one, who is our audience? Two, what are the problems they go through? Three, how do we help them solve them? That's what you're doing with a podcast. You're helping people solve problems. So we just kept going on with that. Eventually, we started coaching. So we do one-on-one coaching. Then it got to, later on, it got to the point where somebody reached out to me and said, hey, I want you to produce my friend's podcast. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. Not going to work. And he said, you've done 300 episodes or whatever it is. Just trust me, you should do it. So we end up starting a podcast production company. Okay. Eventually, we had to figure out how do we do web work. So we hired somebody to do our websites and then we started doing other people's websites. What turned or what it went from a podcast to a service provider is we were just trying to solve the problems that our audience deals with. So that was the very beginning. After that, we said, well, in the future, we want to create an online campus. We want it to be a building for health, a building for wealth, and a building for love. And that is very much what we are trying to create right now. We're in the very early stages of that, but we have the content to do it. I mean, there's plenty of content. So at some point, eventually, we will have a building for health that has physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health, and it'll have courses and episodes and all that. Wealth, wealth creation, saving money, investing, all that. And then love, right? Maybe we'll have the interviews we did with relationship professionals and courses and stuff like that. So we wanted to go that route because not everybody can afford to come to an event. Not everybody can afford for one-on-one, uh, afford one-on-one coaching, group coaching. But if we have a website that is loaded with value, completely free, that is really what we aspire to anyway. I mean, that's why we do an episode every day. We do an episode every day for free because we want to help you get a little bit better every day for free. So that is the big piece of it. And then there's a lot of other things and opportunities underneath that are involved in the business. But I also have a firm belief that if you give the most amount of value away, eventually, if people want to pay you, they're going to come to you. It just makes logical sense. So why not just give it all away for free in the beginning? People like to find out what you know. Are you knowledgeable? It doesn't necessarily mean because they watch a video on how do you produce a podcast that they want to produce a podcast themselves. They may want to watch the video to figure out what does it involve, and as they get into it, they realize, I don't want to do that. That's not something I'm interested in. I'd rather hire somebody. These guys obviously know what they're doing. I'm just going to hire them. Or mechanics. Imagine a mechanic video, right? How to fix a four-wheel drive on a Toyota 4Runner. Yeah, you might tune in because you have a, a Toyota 4Runner that you need to fix the four-wheel drive on, but you might also see that person and say, oh, that person's actually pretty close to where I live. I'm going to bring my stuff to them. It's a very, it's a value add, but it's also a, it's an opportunity to self-identify. People self-identify as I'm the type of person who would work with that person or I'm the type of person who likes that person. Content is a beacon of what your capabilities are now more than ever, really. So... Yeah, I'm always going to be a fan of giving it away for free. Probably to a detriment, honestly. I mean, there's, you know, we've given away a lot of free stuff that we probably should have charged for, but that's just our business model. That's the way we do it. You know, I have found that when you're doing good things, people, you know, like to, you know, they want to do more with you, right? If you're helping, uh, they want to help back. Even this podcast I'm not making money with it. I, I don't have this expectation that, that somebody's going to come back to us and say, hey, I want to do business with you because I saw your podcast. On the other hand, if somebody watches our podcast and learns something that helps them, even watching this current podcast and they've learned some techniques that help them be more stable or find some positivity and, and even go to your website and get some training from your website – it's, it's a real positive thing. The dividend is that something good was done, 
that, that's how I always look at Same. it. And people come back to us and say, hey, you, we really appreciated what you did. How can we help you? I had a right. client. I had a client cancel on me today. They, they messaged me and said, hey, we're right now we want to focus on saving. We're going to get rid of all of our services. I had a conversation with them two weeks ago where I told them to do that. I said, can everything, including us, if you have to. I want you to make sure you're saving as much money as humanly possible. And in the message, they said, we love you. You're the best. You're a great human being. We're going to come back. Once we're financially stable, we're going to come back. That's not why I did it. I just want what's best for you. So I sent them some book recommendations. I said, let me know if I can be of service. Just message me. That when you're in it for the long run, you don't have to play the short game. Anything else is... Yeah. It's like, well, cancel everything else, but make sure you stay with us. Because if you don't stay with us, you're not going to be able to win. That's not true. That's not fair. That's that's right. not good. So if, they're, if, if I added enough value and they really feel like I did, they will come back when the time is right. If not, they shouldn't. And that's my belief. You know, if somebody's starting out with a podcast, I guess, what would you recommend that they focus on first and and... and having a future vision how important is that or is it more important to just start something and get it going and being consistent i think it depends on what your expectations are because i've had a lot of people come to me and say i want to have a million downloads the first year it's like all right cool you're good you're ready to grind your face off right and they'll say well no i just want to drop an episode a week it's like no that ain't it unless you have a big audience if you have a big audience it's honestly it's that wouldn't even be that challenging with a large enough audience okay this is always my frame and it's completely different than i probably what you expect i don't know what you do before the podcast and what you do after the podcast episode is as important, if not more important, than the actual episode. So the three things I would say, get very familiar, very comfortable, and very consistent on social media. Not just posting, but building real authentic relationships with people. Because those are the people that are going to listen to your show. Do not ever miss on your podcast. Do not ever miss an episode. If you tell people it's going to be out, find a way to get it out. And then always try to keep up with 1% improvements. So say you're doing audio only. All right, cool. Let's make sure our audio quality is as good as humanly possible. Let's make sure we get an intro, an outro, a trailer. Awesome. Then maybe try to do video. Doesn't have to be a high quality camera. Use your laptop. Cool. Then let's try to throw that on YouTube. Then let's try to create micro content. And just try to get a little bit better with everything. Eventually you buy a new mic and a new camera and new guests. So 1% improvements there. My question is always, why are people at this level of your business? What do they expect? And then where do they go next? That where do they go next piece is what I say after the podcast. Where do they go? A lot of people say, I want them to go to my website. Okay, why? So they can purchase something. Eh, I understand, but that's not necessarily conducive to a long-term listener. I would say create some sort of community. Facebook group, Discord, whatever you want. I like Facebook groups because our audience is on Facebook, but here's the interesting thing about a podcast. You might have a thousand people that listen to your show every single month. You have no idea who those thousand people are unless you create an opportunity for them to self-identify. Those thousand people have no idea who else is listening unless you create the community. So that those are the big three, I would say, right off the bat. Social media, 1% improvements on the show, create some sort of group. And then, yeah, long-term, creating freebies and having products and services that's big but you have to know what problem you're solving for what person in what unique specific way and don't ever lose sight of that because if you lose sight of that your audience is going to go find somebody who actually solves that problem so yeah that's what i would say and then eventually you start going on other shows and make sure everybody runs through the podcast the podcast is a piece of your business it's not a silo off of it a lot of people make that mistake as well those would be the, the simplest ones you mentioned uh, earlier on we were talking about uh, how community and your peers are important in helping you with your mental and emotional health and stability. And you just mentioned in podcasts that one of the things is to build a community. So I'm going to kind of come back around to that. How did you start building your community and was it how has it helped you in becoming better at what you do? We have tried to treat the podcast like a business from the second we started understanding it was going to become one. So what we would do 
is every single week we did a free live podcast in our Facebook group. And it started out even before we had a Facebook group. Anybody who ever attended, we would take down their information and we put it on a list. So right now we're building a list, right? There's, it's not a community yet, but it's an opportunity for community. Then eventually we started doing Facebook Lives, okay? Then we started doing monthly meetups. What we did is the calls to action on our podcast are always join our Facebook group. So every single episode, we, not every episode, at least three times a week, we say, hey, if this resonated with you, make sure you join our private Facebook group, right? The warmest people are going to come through the podcast. Me promoting it on social media, it's not the same because those people don't listen to the show. If they don't listen to the show, it's not going to matter as much. So our calls to action are very, very, very specific. And our, I don't want to say prospecting hygiene because not everybody's ever going to be a client, but our community hygiene in terms of our lists are very good. We have very, very deep lists of people who this person signed up for this. This person's part of the email list. This person does this. This person does this. That way we can figure out, oh, this person is comes to book club, is in our Facebook group, has been a one-on-one coach, has done group coaching, has attended a live event. That's somebody who's probably going to say yes to something. Okay, we'll send those messages first. Boom. But yeah, it, it really has been the Facebook group. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And then we have a lot of free offerings that we invite people to. That really is the big two. And then the third, the, the last thing about it is everything connects nicely to the next layer. But even when you get to the bottom of our business and you're working one-on-one with us, you still can listen to the show. You still can like stuff on social media and you can be a pillar in the Facebook group. So it's a very enclosed ecosystem where once you're in it, there's so many places for you to go you're going to end up kind of where you want. If you don't want to pay, that's fine. We have so many free things. Awesome. If you want to pay, awesome. There's a lot of that too. That's really helped facilitate the community. I would say the free offerings are probably what does it. Because I don't really care whether you give me money or not. If you're not supposed to, I don't want you to. I'd rather you just hang out in the Facebook group and take value and contribute. It is a known fact, I believe, that uh, the amount of free contents can can affect conversion mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> for sure and on that note we're sort of off topic i guess um you know with with dave i feel like i've been extremely um, lucky to find someone to host this pro- podcast with and on the topic of finding a co-host for a podcast uh do you have any recommendations i, I have a feeling you're going to say core values read my mind <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> People have to be in it for the right reasons. Th- that. It, right. If, if somebody is in it because they want to get, you know, rich quick or they want to get famous quick and that's not why you're doing it, it's not going to work. There's just going to be too much conflict. There's going to be too much resistance. You have to be in it for the same reasons. So, yeah, I would, I would go back to the canned answer, my friend, of core, core values, core beliefs, and core aspirations. <laughs> I haven't found anything that works as well as that yet. And we've had a lot of our business mentors who said, you guys are making a mistake, don't partner up. I think you're wrong. I just don't think you have similar core values, core beliefs, and core aspirations with the people that you partnered with. Right? If there's any ego, it's not going to work. There's, when, when we were doing, when we were coming up with who's going to be CFO, who's going to be CEO, who's going to be CMO, we were doing all that. I, Alan and I had a very real conversation. I said, you have to be the CEO. If I am the CEO, we are going to fail. I don't, know, I don't know the first thing about being a CEO. I love money and I'm very focused on money. I can be the CFO. That's fine. I'm in there. I can focus on that. I can track the numbers. We're good. But if, if I had an ego and I said, well, what if we're both CEO? Can we do like co-CEOs? That's an ego thing. Yeah. That's an ego thing. We don't, we don't yeah. need that. So if there was any ego, our, our relationship wouldn't work. And you have to sniff that out from a mile away. I am not a believer in this co-CEO <laughs> thing. It, it just doesn't make yeah, I sense. agree. I was not aware it was a thing. Like... Oh, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I stay away from it. When I see co-CEO, it's like, okay, you guys enjoy. Uh, Have fun. You know. Yeah, it's not, it, it's not for me. I mean, there's one position. There's one player for each position on the field. That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean if you get hurt, somebody can't step in, but... I'm not the quarterback. I can't even see over the, the line. It's not me. Somebody else has to do that. I'll do something else. It Just leaning into your expertise and leaning into what you're good at, but that requires some communication and vulnerability. 
so for us, it's not burnout is not really an issue <laughs> with our uh, frequency of episodes. <laughs> but uh, I do see a lot of podcasts that do, that do try to do daily content, and they do feel burnt out after yeah. a while. So I, I do wonder, uh, Kevin, if you have some great strategies to avoid burnout in general. I think that is extremely valuable in just uh, day-to-day life for everyone who works any job anywhere yeah it is it's a great question i mean i deal with burnout like everybody else it's less than ever you have to rely on your systems one so we have a video editing team we have an audio editing team all we do is record and then we send it off to the team and the team's amazing they do the rest that's a necessary system because there's no way i could do all of that i did at one point but not with seven episodes a week so part one is figure out are your systems buying you time or taking your time. That's one. But the, I think the biggest thing when we think about burnout is it's either you're doing too much in general or you're doing too much in a season. So if every single day at the end of the day you feel burnt out, you got to lighten the workload. If every single week when you get to Friday you feel burnt out, I would say scale back 10%. Unless you're okay with being burnt out on Friday, then taking Saturday and Sunday. That's up to you. But it's either a mechanism of too much work in too little time or too much work and too much pressure over the long run. I would approach it from how much productive output am I actually doing versus how much can I handle. And this is my other thing too. What used to burn me out doesn't burn me out anymore. I had a, I had a day last week where I had four calls and I was like, this is the easiest day I've had in months. When I first started, I would have one coaching call and I would have to take a nap after. It was like, do not call me, do not text me. I have a coaching call today. I can't do anything else. So you also have to understand your own unique capability to grow into the workload. But you have to be very honest with yourself. You have to be very honest with yourself. So I would tap back into yet another thing we talked about earlier, the consistent 70% days instead of the the spotty 100s. If you're doing spotty 100s and you're getting burnt out, I'd focus on consistent 60s. I feel like the the most insidious part of burnout is that uh, it feels like the productive uh, workload that is possible in a ever-increasingly burnt-out state is is ever-reducing. So after years of burnouts, you may be at uh, 50% or 40 or 30 or 20 and at 10%. Where do you scale back from 10? <laughs> like... That's when people yeah, uh, go on sabbaticals, I don't know if you do. One thing that I have found to help with burnout is make sure you're filling your cup. I know it almost sounds counterintuitive, right. but if you... Okay, what about this? If you get to the end of the week and you feel 8 out of 10 burnt out, mm-hmm. Saturday morning you wake up and you think to yourself, I really, I really, really love photography. I should go take some pictures today but you don't do it because you say you're burnt out, I wonder if you'd be more burnt out on Monday than if you actually went and filled your cup doing something you love. Even though it's... Oh, no, that's a great tip. I mean, even if you're burnt out at work, you could still go ahead and go on your personal fitness journey. Yeah, now, you have to test it, right? I don't know. Is it going to make you more burnt out? That's a personal thing. But my wife and I had that conversation recently where we wake up and we're like, all right, we're going to go for a walk this afternoon. And I'm tired and she's tired. And then the afternoon comes and we're both sitting on the couch and we're like, you know what? Nah, we're not going to go for a walk. Don't worry about it. Then we had a conversation and I said, babe, I think we need to do the things that we know we'll be grateful that we did. In the moment, I want to watch Netflix. But I will not be grateful I watch Netflix most likely. I will be grateful for going for a walk with my beautiful wife and having great conversation and being outside and having nature and making a memory I think filling your cup like that might actually lend itself to less burnout than more. So that's worth a test to. All right. So, Kevin, in your opinion, what does the future of podcasting look like? My goodness. Everybody is going to have a podcast. Everybody is going to think podcasting is the way. 99% of the people who start will quit. And if you can just hang on longer than anybody else, you will be successful. A lot of it, I mean, AI is going to shift the way podcasts are done. Accessibility for audio and video editing is going to be at an all-time low based on AI. So the excuses are going to continue to go down, but 
but I do think the attrition rate will continue to rise at the level it has. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity for creators, a lot of opportunity for consistent creators, but there's also going to be a lot of disappointment for people who think jumping into it is the way to success. Kevin, thank you so much for helping us work through mental and emotional stability and podcasting and understanding how it all fits together and can affect one's business. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode today. But before you go, we want you to think about this important question. How are you going to improve your mental health this month? For our listeners, please subscribe and click notifications to join us for our next Screaming Box Technology and Business Rundown podcast. Until then, be stable. Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing, liking, and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy. <laughs>